Well, thank you again for being here tonight. It is uh, always a privilege to have Dale McCoy with us. He's no stranger to our congregation. He's been here numerous times. But uh, why don't you make him welcome as Dale comes tonight to lead us. Please open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. Book of Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, thank you, Dave, for uh, the music and for welcoming me. And thank you, Mount Airy, for welcoming me and allowing me to have this privilege to be here with you uh, this evening that the Lord has provided for us. It's always such a blessing to be with Mount Airy and to uh, enjoy some time with a church that is so alive for our Lord Jesus Christ. I know we were rejoicing, my wife and I were, as we came in. Uh, the youth worship that's going on down in the Life Center and uh, knowing that you have a mission team up in Cleveland helping with that church plant. And there's probably a lot of other things I don't know about going on. A children's choir is rehearsing. And uh, it's just a blessing to uh, see what the Lord is doing and to be encouraged by that and by the opportunity to be here uh, because the Lord is truly at work at Mount Airy. And we know that uh, He does that for His glory, but we also know that He's using uh, your pastor in a great way. And so we want to pray for Dr. Shorter as he's with the mission team. I think he's returning tomorrow, I believe, and uh, pray for his safe travel. And I think uh, Dave was telling me there's about 20 uh, with the mission team up there. And so let's be praying for them as well. So because of all of that, and because I think uh, one of your members, is it George Wyatt, is that correct, has uh, lost his mom uh, Friday. And we certainly want to be praying for him and for that situation you're stuck with me this evening, so, uh, but I'm glad to be here, and I'm thankful that the Lord has given me this opportunity. I want to share with you a little bit from a very familiar passage of Scripture, uh, but you know, familiarity when it comes to the Word of God uh, does uh, the exact opposite of uh, breeding contempt in our lives. Rather, it brings us great assurance when we look into a passage that we've heard and the Lord chooses at that time to teach us something new from that same passage that we'd already heard. Because that's the way God does in His wonderful grace to us. He brings us to a place and He intersects His Word with the circumstance of our life at that time. And He brings a freshness and a newness through His Holy Spirit from His Word into our lives. And so I'm confident that He will do that for me and for you, for us here together this evening. So let's read, if you will, from Hebrews chapter 12. We're just going to read a few verses, and uh, then I just want to share a few thoughts. Uh, Keith did, I did ask him a little bit how the Sunday evening schedule went. He said, well, there's usually about two songs, and then you'll be up, which usually leaves about 45 or 50 minutes. And he said, but if you want to make friends, let them out early. And I know he's a friendly pastor, so I'm going to try to follow his lead. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Join me as we pray, please. Father, thank you so much for the privileged blessing of opening your word here this evening in your church with your people. And Lord, we just thank you that we have the promise from you that when we come before your word, when we submit our hearts to the authority of Your Word, Your Holy Spirit will truly speak to each of us. And so, Father, we call out for You this evening to do that. Lord, we know You've gathered us here. You, we know that You made this appointment for us. And so, Lord, we're blessed to know from that that You have something to say to us. And I pray, Lord, that now You would be the one who speaks Your Word into our hearts. That, Lord, your great Holy Spirit would overcome the messenger with your message for each of us. Father, we pray for uh, all of those wonderful activities that are going on here at Mount Airy, Lord. We pray for the worship in the Life Center, for the children's rehearsal. We pray for the mission team in Cleveland, for that church plan and how you're already pouring your blessings out there. God, we just ask you to do something great for your name in that city there that is so desperate for the gospel, and yet so many of those folks don't even realize that that's what their need is. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd use the Mount Airy team uh, this week, Lord, to share your good news. And, Lord, from that good news, you would open up hearts, you'd pour your grace in, and, Lord, you would bring many into your kingdom through their work. Father, we pray for Dr. Shorter as he travels home, that, Lord, you would bring him home safely to his family and to his church family. And uh, Lord, we pray for our brother who's uh, dealing with the funeral of his mother this afternoon. Lord, that your comforter would be at work there. That God, you would give the encouragement and the peace that we all need during those times of grieving. And so Lord, again, we ask you to work in our midst during these moments that we have here together. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A really popular movie that I know I like, and I guess, I don't know, I mean, it's got some, some love stuff in it. I know it's not a chick flick, but I think some ladies kind of watch it sometime. Marianne watches it with me, Braveheart, about the Scottish Rebellion, the Scottish Revolution. You know, William Wallace is the star of that story, but Robert the Bruce has his transformation through Wallace's influence. Well, there's history... And some legend that says that after Wallace's execution and the defeat that the Scots suffered there at Falkirk to the British, that Robert the Bruce became very depressed because of the leadership that had been thrust upon him. In fact, legend has it that he went and dwelt in a cave for a while, that he was running for his life. He didn't want to suffer the same fate that Wallace had suffered, and so he was kind of hiding out from those who would take his life. And he was about ready to give it all up. He was about ready to, to quit fighting the good fight as he dwelt in that cave. But supposedly, he said that while he was in that cave, he started watching this spider trying to build a web. And he said this spider would drop down from one side and try to swing itself across to begin that work of, beginning, of building that web. And then it would fall and it would fail and it would crawl back and go back. And he said that literally for days he watched that spider trying to get that web started till finally it did. Finally, it got the web started and it built this home for itself. 
this spider's web. And supposedly Bruce said that gave him a new perspective on what he faced. That no matter how hard the journey before him was, no matter how difficult it seemed, he knew that he had to do something to lead the people to establish the home that would become the nation of Scotland. And so he did that. For eight years, he led them and they gained their independence. And some people later left Scotland and got on boats and came to the United States. And many years later, some of their descendants became Southern Baptist preachers and stood up in front of people at Mount Airy Baptist Church on April the 26th. So I don't know if I have any connection to Robert the Bruce other than probably the cave-dwelling part. But I do know we can learn something from him and from that spider's perseverance. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to finish the race. We are called to finish the course. Many, many, many have begun the journey. Many individual Christians, many families who have committed themselves, many churches have begun the good journey of claiming to be followers of Christ. But it's not enough to begin the journey. We are called to endure. We are called to persevere. We are called, as the writer of Hebrews says to us this evening, to run that race that is marked out before us. And when God calls us to something that crucial, because His name, if we take it upon ourselves, is at stake, we have that responsibility of having embraced the name of Jesus Christ, and therefore we have a responsibility to Him to live up to that by His grace, by His mercy, not all in our flesh by any means, but by His grace we are called to be finishers. Now that's easier said than done, isn't it? A lot of times, wait a minute, most of the time, it would be easier in our flesh to just throw in the towel, just say, forget it, this is too hard. Because we know there's some of these false gospel teachers out there trying to tell people, trying to sell people that if they just do this or that, life will get so easy Everything will be so perfect. But what we know is that we follow a Savior who said, Hey, if you want to come and be my follower, take up your cross and follow me. You need to die to yourself daily if you're going to follow me. You're going to be following one who had no place to lay his head, who had no material inheritance to leave behind to his family who had none of that stuff you're going to be following one who was scorned and hated and yes crucified by wicked men and so jesus made no bones about the difficulties that would lie before us as his followers but he also never hid the joys that would await us in truly following him And so we want to get from our point of beginning or our point wherever we are in our journey with Him, we want to make sure that we are finishers. We want to make sure that we have our focus on that race that's marked out before us. And the great thing about God is that He calls us to such obedience, but He also equips us to fulfill the obedience He calls us to. 
He gives to us His Word so that we may truly fulfill what it is He's commanded us to do. And so, just from these few verses this evening, real quickly, I just want to share some things that I believe can help all of us, including myself, to be a disciple who endures. We want to be disciples of Christ, and that means we are those who endure. We persevere. So what does that say to us? Well, in these three verses that we read together, we have this word, first, verse 1, perseverance. And then verse 2 and verse 3, it's translated as endured. It's the same word from the Greek, the same root. It's agos, A-G-O-S, from which we get an English word, agony. Perseverance and endured here in Hebrews 12, 1, 2, and 3 come from the same root word from which we get the English word agony. So that should tell us immediately that the persevering and the enduring isn't going to be comfortable and easy. It's going to be challenging for us. But we are commanded. So what is it that we have to equip us from God's Word so that we can be the disciples who endure. Well, we know it takes consistent discipline. It takes courageous action. And we have to be capable in our faith. But look at what he says here in verse 1. The first key that I find in this passage of Scripture to being a disciple who endures is that I'm to follow the examples of endurance. I'm to follow the examples of endurance. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now that therefore, particularly right here, is pointing back to chapter 11. And we know that Hebrews chapter 11 is what we call the hall of fame of faith, or the great hall of faith, in which all of those Old Testament characters were listed out for their great achievements of faith, for their perseverance in faith. And so he says, therefore, because those have gone on before us, we are surrounded by these witnesses. We are surrounded by this heritage. We've been given this legacy of faith. Now, there's some different perspectives on exactly what this means, none of which should really divide us. Some people believe that this verse teaches that these witnesses are actually looking down from heaven. I know I have a friend of mine who says, you know, I, I kind of view it like there's this great stadium situation and they're viewing those of us who are coming toward home from this vantage point looking down and they're cheering us on those who have gone before us in the faith some people don't believe that's the perspective because some people believe that if we arrive in heaven we're not going to be looking back this way we're going to be looking toward jesus and so they believe that what it means is we've just got this legacy, we've got this heritage. It'd be like if you've ever been up to Washington, D.C., and you walk through some of those buildings and you walk around, there's all those portraits of all those who have gone before, who have served the cause of freedom, who have secured our nation for us. And you're looking at all these portraits of these great leaders, and we have a heritage connected to them. That's kind of the picture that some people believe they're here. There is here that these historical figures lived out lives of enduring followership of God. And because of that, their legacy, that heritage, it surrounds us. Either way, it should give us confidence to know that we're not in this by ourselves. And we're not the first running this race. In fact, we've been handed the baton for our time on this earth. 
until we pass that baton on to the next generation. So we should follow the examples of endurance. He says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, the race of life of a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's definitely not a sprint. Amen? It's a marathon. It's definitely a marathon. At least I hope mine is. I've been been running it for almost 40 years now as a follower of Christ, and I hope it just keeps going unless He chooses to come back soon. If not, I hope He leaves me here for a while. I kind of like hanging out with my wife and seeing my kids and celebrating family day. Yesterday we celebrated my dad's 75th birthday. I had some people there tell me I look older than him. I wasn't trying to... I was still trying to figure out if they were complimenting him or... You know what they were saying. But I want to hang out here for a while, don't you? As a disciple of Christ. I want to finish when He intends for me to finish. And I want to finish well. But it is a marathon. You know, recently they ran the Boston Marathon. And we know what happened a year ago. Or was it two years ago now? My memory's leaving me. The bombing up there two years ago. Well, they also run the New York City Marathon. And when I was studying this passage of Scripture, and it talked about, in the commentaries, some of them talked about it being a marathon. I started looking at some different marathon stories. I found this one I thought that was really, really challenging. The 1986 New York City Marathon had almost 20,000 runners that entered into it. But what's memorable is not who won the race, but who finished last. The runner out of those more than 20,000 who finished last, his name was Bob Wheeland. Bob Wheeland, he finished dead last, 19,413th, dead last in the New York City Marathon. It took him four days, two hours, and 47 minutes and 17 seconds. Still on record as the slowest marathon in history ever. So what is it that made Bob Wheeland's marathon so special and so memorable? He ran the entire marathon on his arms. You see, 17 years earlier, while he was serving in Vietnam, he had lost both of his legs in battle. But yet he was determined. He was determined. He had a goal before him. And so he worked and he worked and he worked and he earned the right to enter into the New York City Marathon and he finished it. Oh yeah, everybody else was long finished. But the key is that he finished the race. You see, we're going to have difficulties in the race. But the key is that we set our eyes on the finish, that we have that determination, and that we're willing to pay the price to get to the finish, just like Bob Whelan did in the midst of that adversity. And you see, all of these examples that were given in Hebrews 11, we know that many of them were famous to us as Bible students. Some, not so much. But yet every one of them is honored by God in His Word because he or she finished, finished the life's race that God had set out before him or her. And you see, all of these things were given to us, the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians... 
so that we can have an example. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. You see, these things didn't just happen for our instruction, but what these people went through, the struggles and the difficulties, and yet the faithfulness that they maintained is right there before us so that when we are facing our discouragement, when we're going through our adversity, we can look and see in the lives of these people honored by God's Word that He blesses those who finish the course. We can also look around and see that in a church family as well. That's one of the huge blessings about being a part of a loving church family like this is that we have each other running the race alongside of one another. So the first key from Hebrews 12 for being a disciple who endures is that we're to follow the examples of endurance. Secondly, we're also to flee or to forsake the enemies of endurance. Again, in verse 1, he says, Therefore, let us throw off everything that hinders, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, let me ask you, what hinders you spiritually? What hinders you spiritually? Now, the New American Standard translates that word hinder, hindrance, as an encumbrance. The meaning of it is that it is a weight or an obstacle. But notice that the responsibility is given to us to throw off this hindrance, to throw off the encumbrance, to throw off that weight or that obstacle that is before us. Because you see, in this aspect of verse 1 of Hebrews 12, the writer is not talking about those sins that come against us, but rather anything that is not sinful that can cause us to be slowed down or stopped in our race. John Piper provides some insightful commentary on how it is that he was impacted when he discovered this teaching about these hindrances. He says that back when he was a teenager, he was taught this by a man of God, that hindrances are not sins, but rather are good things that can cause bad results in one's life. He said this was revolutionary, Piper did. What it did, and I hope it does the same for you, was show me that the fight of faith, the race of the Christian life, is not fought well or run well by asking what's wrong with this or what's wrong with that. But rather by asking, is it in the way of greater faith and greater love and greater purity and greater courage and greater humility and greater patience and greater self-control? Not, is it a sin, but does it help me run? Or is it in the way of my race? You see, there are things that are good in our lives. There may be a relationship that seems good, or it may be some kind of hobby, or it may be some kind of habit. And in and of itself, it is not sinful. It's not a sinful thing. It's not a sinful relationship. It's not a sinful hobby or a sinful habit. It's not anti-God, but it's also not pro-us finishing our course. 
And so sometimes we have to come to the tough decision moment, to that crossroads in our journey, when we have to say, like Piper did, is it what is best for me in following Christ as His disciple? Because you see, those things that slow us down and those things that hinder us in that way, even though they are not sinful in and of themselves, when we get slowed down in our spiritual race, that's when the enemy has a better opportunity of entangling us in sinfulness. You know what they say, it's hard to hit a moving target. I remember one of the guys in my ordination council telling me that. He said, well, now you're going to be a pastor and a preacher. I want to tell you something up front. I said, okay. He said, remember always, it's hard to hit a moving target. Make sure you're always on the move for the Lord's sake. And you see, it's the same way with these hindrances that the writer of Hebrews talks about and these encumbrances. He says, these things that are not necessarily evil, but yet they slow me down or they can distract me or they can pull me away from that which is best. You remember the story of Mary and Martha? You remember one is serving, one is sitting at the feet of Jesus. There's a complaint by the one serving that's working hard and he says, he doesn't say that's evil. He says this is better. Not that's bad, not you've sinned, but this is better to be with me, to be close to me. This is the best part. You see, as followers of Christ, to truly endure as a disciple, we have been given the responsibility by God's Word to be doing evaluation of our spiritual journeys and to be asking the Lord, am I doing that which is best or do I have some things in my life that I need to get rid of? Jules Verne's classic Mysterious Island book tells a little bit about that. These guys escaped from a Civil War prison camp in a hot air balloon. And they had supplies with them. They had all this stuff with them. And as they escaped out of the prison camp, the balloon took them out over the ocean. And so they wondered, where are we going? Had no clue, but they knew they were headed to freedom. Well, then sure enough, the balloon starts coming down and they don't want to land in the ocean, so they start throwing stuff out of it. They start throwing their things out, the supplies that they had. And they go back up for a little while, come back down eventually. So they start throwing their coats and their shoes and all their stuff off again, go back up. The third time they start coming down, they've got nothing left to throw out of the basket. So they said, here's what we'll do. We'll try to tie ropes up to where the basket is. We'll tie the ropes around ourselves and we'll cut the basket off. And sure enough, that's what they did. They cut the basket of the balloon. They were tied to it. And this time when it came down, it came down on land. And they were saved. But you see, all that stuff was good. None of that stuff was bad that they had. The supplies, the clothes, surely the basket that was keeping them safe wasn't bad, but all of it was going to keep them from being free. You see, sometimes we have to come to that point when we get rid of what some people would call good so that we can have the best in our journey with Jesus. But yet he also says not only are there hindrances, not only are there encumbrances, those obstacles and weight, but there are those sins. He says, therefore let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You see, sin easily entangles 
But yet, with great difficulty, do we get disentangled from it. Oh, I know the Lord will forgive us. He will, he will set us free. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We know that. But yet, there's always that pain and those difficulties, those consequences that come because we've made that sinful choice. We also know that. Not to carry around guilt for the rest of our lives, but we know that nothing good ever comes out of a sinful decision. So he says, let's get rid of that sin that so easily entangles us. The picture that he's given here is like a weed or a plant that cleverly places itself around something in order to exert tight control. Now we've got a lot of that that's starting to turn green around here, don't we? Everybody know what it is? Kudzu. Doesn't kudzu exert tight control over whatever it entangles itself around? You know it's true. You've, you've driven through the country before one year and see this house there and then go back by two years later and you can't even see the house. Because kudzu, I've heard it, what is it, 13 inches a day? That it grows something like that, I've heard. It grows really quickly. And it's really tough. And that's the, that's the picture I get in my mind, I guess because I'm from South Carolina. Been in Pickens County most of my life. When I think about a weed that entangles something and exerts tight control, I immediately think about kudzu. Because it's really powerful and it really overtakes whatever it attaches itself to. And so you have to cut it off in the beginning. In fact, never allow it to start. And God's grace and His Holy Spirit indwelling us will give us that discernment. You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't just convict lost people of their need of salvation. He convicts followers of Christ to flee from sin. To run away from it. You see, that's what the Word of God is calling us to do. We're to follow the example of... Uh, the, the example of those who have endured before us, but we're also to flee or to forsake the enemies of endurance. The enemies of endurance, which would be both hindrances and sin that so easily entangles us. So those two keys are important for us. But the ultimate answer is found in verses 2 and 3. Once we make our commitment through the Holy Spirit's work in us to do that which we have been commanded to do in verse 1, then we find that we are being given this power through our Savior Jesus, through our great high priest, through the great shepherd himself. Verse 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. You know how important that is for someone who's running? You're not going to run and look backwards. You're not going to run and look to the side for very long. Because if you do, you're not going to be running anymore, right? You're going to be picking yourself up off of the ground. Probably with a skint nose. It's urgent if we're running that we look in which direction? Forward. And Jesus is always calling us forward unto Himself. He's always calling us forward unto Himself. He says, fix your eyes on Me. We know the story of poor old Peter that we like to pick on so much. You know, he was the one that always had the wrong thing to say at the wrong time and did the wrong thing. You know, he stepped out of the boat as long as he was looking at Jesus, as long as he was fixed on Jesus, he had his eyes on him. Everything was good. The storm was still raging. 
but he was walking on water. But then when he looked to the side, he saw the wind. (laughs) He got really distracted, and he started to sink. You see, when we're running this race, the empowerment that is given for us to endure as followers of Jesus Christ comes by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Don't get scared, I'm not going to sing. I know how terrible I am at that, but I tell you, I love that song. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full. Full, that means don't look over here. Look full in His wonderful face. Isn't that a great invitation in that song? He wants us to look at Him. The King of all glory. The King of kings. The eternal one. He doesn't want us to come to Him no matter what has hindered us, no matter what has entangled us. He doesn't want us to come to Him looking at our feet in shame. He wants us to come and look full into His face and see the love in His eyes looking at us. And as we do that by faith, He empowers us to endure so that we will finish as His disciples. So that His name through our lives will be glorified. You see, He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter. I love that. I mean, this is good. This is really good stuff. I love this. He's the author. In other words, he invented faith. Isn't that cool? I, I hear people all the time say, well, I had faith in my team. I had faith in myself. I had faith in my race car. I had faith in this. I, no, real faith. That's, that's a misuse of that word. Faith was authored by Jesus Christ. And it has with it eternal ramifications and eternal promises. But not only did He author faith, not only did He invent it, not only did He create it, but He also perfected it. He showed us through His life of endurance, through His life of perseverance, a man of sorrows, rejected by this world, who went all the way to the cross and never stopped his journey. He showed us what the perfection of faith looks like. It's daily obedience to the Father. You see, he's the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I don't know about you, but it always blesses my heart to know that the joy that was set before Him includes me. I know, I know that might sound a little egotistical, but, but I believe it's true. I've heard people say, well, you know, He did that because He was uh, going to go to heaven. Well, hello, He left heaven. He was already there. That wasn't the joy. And I know that ultimately the joy was pleasing His Father and obeying His Father. That was the ultimate But as a ramification of His obedience to the Father, that means that heaven can now be populated with the likes of me. Truly amazing, I know. But hopefully you too, which is pretty amazing as well. The joy that Jesus focused on, that caused Him to endure and persevere, included the privilege of you and I being in heaven with Him 
for all of eternity. That was the joy that was set before Him. We needed a Redeemer. We needed a Savior. We were helpless and we were hopeless. And the Father sent His only begotten to redeem us. And it brought joy to Him that caused Him to suffer humiliation and death on the cross so that He could bring us into the family. Like that that song. Who sings that song? Is it a new song? This one's with me. Y'all ever heard that? I know, I'm, I'm old. I get it. I mean, it's like 80s, 90s. I get that. Way back. The other, that other century. Father, this one's with me. It's the truth. It was joy that was set before Him. And what's our command? To fix our eyes on Him. Fix our eyes. He's the author. He's the perfecter. He had joy set before Him. He endured the cross scorned at shame, and now He has sat down. You see, when our journey is completed, we will be allowed to rest in the presence of the Father as well because of the work of the Son. Verse 3, consider Him. Verse 2, fix our eyes on Him. Verse 3, consider Him. That means we're supposed to keep our eyes fixed on Him, focused on Him. But when life starts tossing us about, sometimes we need to step back and say, okay, wait a minute, I need to consider some things here. And the first thing we need to consider is that Jesus, Jesus is who I need to look to for the power to endure. It's like, take a pause for a moment. Consider Him. He endured opposition from sinful men, and you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's a promise from God's Word. It's a promise from God's Word that if we fix our eyes on Him, if we contemplate all that He has done for us, if we take the time to consider Him, we won't grow weary and lose heart. God has laid it all out there before us. We'll grow weary. We'll struggle. It will happen. But we won't quit if we will by faith look to Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. Folks, life can be really difficult. And just like Jesus had to deal with, there's mean men in this world and women that make it even more difficult. But we have been given the blessing of a relationship with Christ that will bring us through and allow us to finish as endurers, as disciples of Christ. Earlier in Hebrews, the writer had said, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, the throne of grace is fixed And you and I are allowed to draw near to it so that we will find mercy in time of need. Jesus is the source of our power. It is through His empowerment that we are allowed to endure. You see, we do need to follow the examples of those who have endured before us and those who are enduring around us. We've been given their examples for a reason. We need to follow those examples. And we have a great responsibility in fleeing both hindrances and forsaking all sins. But ultimately, we're not going to do any of that 
if we don't fix our eyes on Jesus and receive the power that comes from that. Join me as we pray, please. Father, thank you so much for the name of Jesus, for the power of Jesus' name, for the wonderful work of grace that He has done for each one of us. Lord, I'm so grateful that my Savior was willing to leave heaven, to leave that glorious place, and to be humbled willingly, and to be humiliated willingly for the sake of sinners such as myself. Lord, thank You for Your forgiveness. Thank You for Your mercy and Your grace. And thank You for the power that we are given to persevere through the person of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that Your Word has accomplished Your will this evening and that Your Spirit has spoken to the hearts of Your people here so that they may be encouraged to go forward in their journey of faith. Again, Lord, we pray uh, for the family that is grieving. We pray for the mission team. And Lord, uh, we ask you to bring uh, Dr. Shorter home uh, this week, Lord, safely. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.